What does this mean for us as the church? You say, Pastor Tony, we're not in biblical prophecy. You know, you just say, you, you see Gog and Magog and Russia, and you see Israel and all these things. But let me tell you, we might not be, but the church is. The Bible speaks to the church. The Bible talks about what's going to happen and the end times for the church. I want us to have an understanding for this because what I'm about to say and the signs that I'm talking about might come back and say, that's not what I was expecting. Because a lot of things that we look for is like, uh, you know, the one world government and the Antichrist and all these different things. Don't get me wrong. All that is part of end time prophecy. Uh, what's going to happen in the end times when it comes to uh, the economy and, and, and how no man can buy or sell unless they have the mark. And that's what we normally gravitate to. I want to I treat this different. I want to go into this different. Paul is writing to the church, in Thessalon, uh, the church of Thessalonica. Now we'll get to Revelation in a minute. And he was telling them, because they were all like caught up, like, what is, what is the coming of Christ? What does this look like? And they're all talking about this. And he said, now we beseech you. Brethren, he said, let, 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 me, let me get your attention. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the gathering together unto him, he said, they were, they were worked up and he said, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, let, let, me, let me teach you some things. Let me explain some things that have to happen. He said, I don't want you to be soon, uh, not sh- soon shaken in mind. I, I don't want you being troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letters as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. He said, let me explain this to you. He said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. He goes, listen, it's not going to come until something happens. Except there come a falling away first, and then the man of sin shall be revealed, the son of perdition. Talking about the Antichrist. A falling away. And in order for there to be a falling away from something, there first has to be a, a, a time of clinging to something. And, and I want you to understand of how our world and how our culture has changed so much. And, and, and for some of you, you'll be able to recognize this right away. Back in the day, just not too long ago, during the time of D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday, when there was revivals breaking out, and the great revivals that we talk about, where these men of God would get up and preach, and they would have thousands of people saved, and they would fill coliseums, and they would fill stadiums, and they fill churches. They would close down bars. They would close down schools. They would gather in that place. They would preach the gospel for hours on end, and thousands of people would be saved. And our generation, when I say our generation, at least uh, associating with people that are in this room, we had the, the era of Billy Sunday that would go in and have the crusades. How many of you ever heard Billy Sunday preach before like that? Raise your hand right now if you heard Billy Sunday preach. So there was a lot more in the first service, okay? There was a lot more in the first service. And during that time, they would come in and do the crusades, and they, they would get up and preach, and thousands of people would respond to the gospel today. Now we talk about filling stadiums today and seeing it's because Taylor Swift came into town or because I've seen that. I've not seen that in our culture today. Now if you fill a stadium up, it's, it's because Taylor Swift came into town or because the Buckeyes were played. Not because somebody was preaching the gospel in that way. There, 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 things have changed. The world has changed. So when the Bible's talking a great falling away, in 1962, the Supreme Court voted to take prayer out of school. Things began to shift. I, I, I don't have time to go into it, but if you look at the stats uh, of crime that increased and, and uh, uh, how, how pregnancies out of wedlock and how uh, just uh, all these different, the families, divorce, all these things, things began to take a shift as we begin to get away from God's word. 
a great falling away. It's the word of God. It's just as churches preaching the gospel. People say, I know what the Bible says. I grew up that way and I had it shoved on my throat and now I just don't care about that. And I, I'm not going to be drugged to church. It's not my thing. And the world has changed. I don't view things in that way. Slowly, but slowly, but surely, we, we had the word of God that we, this, this, is how we, this is how we operate as a family. This is what the Bible says about marriage. This is what the Bible says about sexuality. This is what the Bible says about finances. We sat it down and slowly we began to do what is right in our own eyes and we get into a mess. It does not work. The Bible is telling us that in that day there would be a great falling away from truth. And it affects our families. Marriages are not thriving like they should be. They're barely held together. There's strife and arguing and bickering and whatever. Why? You look in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that it should be that way. When it talks about revival in the church and seeing people fall down on their faces and we before God craving for revival, we're not seeing that. What is missing? Because the Bible says that God is the same God today, yesterday, and forever. So what happened? The book of Revelation gets into things that are end times. We normally talk about Revelation when it comes to the Antichrist and the, 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 all the different things that are going to happen. And we, we know about the end times. But did you notice that chapters 1, 2, and 3 deal with the church? It's all about the church. Now I'm going to show you guys something that's so important. Revelation chapter 3 verse 14. And he says, unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write. So I, I, I want, and people say the book of Revelation is not about the church. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is all about the church. Before you get into chapter 4, you get into verse 32, or chapter 3, verse 22. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. So all, the, all these instructions that are happening are to the church. Now there, here's the thing, and I, I want to challenge you with this. From chapter 4 to the end of Revelation, I'm going to ask to everybody that says, I don't understand what happens in the end time. Where does the church go? Because if we're mentioning 20 summer, crazy amounts of times over and over again, it's just saturated with chapters 1, 2, and 3 with the church. What happens to the church? Where does the church go? Let me show you this. Finish verse 22. And I saith unto the church, chapter 4, verse 1, after this I looked... And behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice, which I heard as if it was of the trumpet. I heard a trumpet talking to me and said, come up hither, and I will show you the things that must be hereafter. And immediately, from immediately, from earth to heaven, I was in the spirit. Behold, there was a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So if you get into it, after the church is mentioned, at the end of the church, we opened up the next chapter, and what happens? We see being called up hither, called up to heaven, a voice of a trumpet. For anybody that knows prophecy, what are we waiting on? The trump of Christ. We shall be gathered up and called up to him to be forever with the Lord in the clouds. He calls us home. Then what happens? We're, we're transformed not from this body into a spiritual body. Then we're in the presence of the king and the throne. What do we see in heaven at this time? We see Jesus on the throne and then worshiping him as the lamb that was slain. Then you say, who is that? The angels are not worshiping as the land that is slain because they were never bound in sin like we were to need the redemption of Jesus Christ. Talks about the saints coming and casting their throne. Then the judgment on earth starts. How do you know that we will not be here during the tribulation period? And I know some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And for some of you, 
There's a lot of people that have different views of this. I would love to challenge you in your digital notes this morning that we have in the Church Center app. Down at the bottom, there's a thing that says more resources. There's a podcast, multiple podcasts that we have taught through this in detail. I want you to understand what the Bible says about this. But I want to see what happens after God calls us home. There is an outpouring of the wrath of God. But the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom hath raised from the dead, even Jesus... Now listen to this, which delivered us from the wrath to come. What did God say about us as Christians? Because of what Jesus Christ did, because I'm a child of God, what he did was not just save me from hell. The Bible says that he saved me from the wrath to come. You say, that's not talking about the tribulation period. That's talking about hell. Let me show you something. Revelation 6 verse 17, when it actually gets into the tribulation, when it actually gets into the wrath of God, when things actually happen, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Is that clear? When God said, literally, what I'm going to do is, what's going to happen after we see heaven? We step to the edge of heaven, and God begins to pour out his wrath. And you know why God pours out his wrath. It's not because God doesn't love us. It's because God does love us. That's why he died on the cross to save us. If we reject the salvation of God, then we accept the damnation of hell and sin that's to come. I know this is like, whoa, like, this is crazy. You're thinking, what does this have to do with us? Can I rewind a little bit? Can we go back to that last church that's mentioned, the last of the church, before we get into this, and before we start talking about what happens through the tribulation period, we get into the church. And the Bible says in Revelation 3, verse 14, and unto the church of Laodicea write, I want them to know something. These saith the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. And then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I I will, listen to this. God is saying this to the church. He said, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, I'm increased with goods. I have Wi-Fi. I have a car with air condition. When it's cold outside, I have a remote start. I have subscriptions that I can listen to any song at any time, and I pay for it without even thinking about it. I have multiple car payments. I have a house payment that I pay without even thinking about it because we bought beyond our means, but we wanted that house. I'm good. And thou knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So what is he saying with this? Now, for some Christians, you're going to be like, I've heard this a thousand times. If you've been in fellowship at this church, I've preached this multiple times. But I'm telling you, I'm not going to get away from preaching this, especially the closer we get and the more signs that we see of things happening in the world. Amen. The question is, what is the condition of the church? Why is it that this is the last word spoken to the condition of the church before the Lord comes back? The question that I'm asking is, what should we do? Because in verse 15, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. What does that mean? He said, said, I would that thou wert cold or hot, because then thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. 
I'll spew thee out of my mouth. So the question is, what should we do? Number one, that the Bible is confronting, telling us to confront our apathy. Out of all the sins, and we could say in the last days, the horrible sin of the church is fornication, or the horrible sin of the church is greed, or the horrible sin of the church is gossip, or whatever. And God said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. You take the giant that I created. You take the one that is supposed to be so strong that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And let them fall asleep. That is the sin of the church of the last days. Where we sit on our hands. Where God is showing us what's happening in Israel. God shows us what's happening in the world. And there is a great falling away. I'll tell you, if the Bible says that the sign of the times is a great falling away, there should be a great clinging to by the church. Should be that I rise up and I'm not going to be passive to skip church. I'm going to be passionate to be there in church. I'm going to make the Bible the priority of my day, the priority of my life, the priority of my marriage, the priority of my kids. I'm going to rise up and cling to it. You know why? Because I know what the Bible says. And by the way, church, you do too. Nobody's going to sit here and go, what in the world? What is he talking about? And I know we have guests here, and I know we have people that maybe you say, I I don't understand this, but man, it's not an accident that God brought you here today to hear this truth. The truth of the matter is they were comfortable. They existed, but they existed with no passion. They had blessings that were passed down to them. They didn't have to work for it. They had it given to them. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. And I think, what does that look like? Man, we can sing a song about, I speak the name of Jesus over you. The fact that Jesus came and died and rose again. And on the cross, he dealt with our sin and our past and our shame. He dealt to overcome all the addictions that we have in life. We get into the church today. We begin to sing about how God did that for us. And then here's our result of it. It's like, mumble the words. It doesn't affect our heart. It doesn't reach our heart. It doesn't reach our tears. It doesn't, nothing's stirred up inside of us. We're going through the motions. We're looking at our watch. We're, we're, we're talking about the King of Kings that saved us and changes. And I'm not saying it has to be a wild, crazy show, but I'm telling you, if it doesn't hit your heart, something's wrong. Something is wrong. Anytime we hear the name of Jesus, that is the hope that changed my life. It should stir my heart. And every one of us is different, and every one of us worships different. But I promise you, if the thought doesn't enter your mind that God is good and God blessed you, something's wrong. He was just saying to the church that you, 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 you are apathetic. Getting to the point where we can talk about we're going to have outreaches, and we can set aside four hours for sports, but we can't set aside one hour to reach people. Something is wrong with the church. Something, something got off when we can sacrifice. And, and if the new iPhone comes out, we'll get in line and sleep out in front of the store and pay 1200 bucks to have a feature that does, you don't even need on the stupid dumb phone. It's just some sort of new thing, but you don't give a dollar to missions to save people that are going to hell. Something is wrong. We don't mind sacrificing. We don't mind giving as long as it's something in us. And that's what he said. You've become increased with goods. You're blessed. And you sit on the blessings of what God has given us. If you were to talk to this church, they would come up and say, hey, you know, like, what's going on? It's like, well, we're okay. How's church? Oh, how's your worship? It's good. It's fine. You know, it's just that, you know, like, I, I, I go. I mean, I'm there when I can. I'm going to try to. 
the world's going to hell. I, yeah, I know they're doing this outreach thing, but man, I'm just, I'm just so, Saturdays are mine. Saturdays are mine. Sundays are mine. It's like, what? God is telling us in this passage of being apathetic. Because if the church says, I'm doing okay, can I just lay it out there? Being okay is not okay with God. And maybe you don't understand that, but I'm asking you to hold, hang on with me as we get through this. He said, I know your works. He said, you're neither cold nor hot. So when you get saved, the Bible was given this illustrations of, uh, let, let, me, let me just use this. And I've used illustrations like this before. I'm a coffee drinker. How many of you guys are coffee drinkers? Help me out here. Okay. Coffee has to be one or two ways. It needs to either be hot or it needs to be cold. When I say cold, it needs to be ice. When I order iced coffee, I, Jenny and my kids can tell you, I order extra ice. I want it cold. If it gets warm, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pour it. I don't want it. But the idea is that God was saying cold or hot was a matter that when somebody gets around her and feels it, they can tell that there's something different about that, that there's something inside of that that makes it different to the world around it. If I pick up hot coffee, it goes like, oh, wow, that's hot. That's why we have the paper sleeves and everything around it. Ice coffee, you'll have to put it down. It's like, man, that's really cold. It has an effect on the world around us. But the thing about it is if, 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 if God's working on the inside, it will show on the outside. People will be able to get around and say, wow, that, that feels different. That's different. In, in your job, in school, in work, in sports or whatever, that the Bible is talking about. He said, I wish that you were either cold or hot, that there was something happened inside of you that made an obvious difference that you love God. Amen. That's the point. He said in verse 15, I, I would, I wish, I desire that you were cold or hot. Now, let me lay this out. Apathy is not okay with God. Yeah, we, we, the thing is, we start off this way. When we're first saved, it's like, man, I can't wait to get to church. We're listening to podcasts. We're reading our Bibles. We'll stay up late and read another passage. And somehow along the way, our Bibles get sat down. And we can binge watch the series on Netflix without even thinking about it. People are filling the altars, getting saved. And we're complaining that the church goes too long. We will stay an extra 15 minutes at a movie theater for the after credit scene. But if church goes 10 minutes over, we're upset. What's happened to us? I'm not saying that this is all of us. I'm, I, I'm, I'm literally, when you go to the doctor and he puts the cuff on you and sits there and does the blood, it's like, how are we doing? How are we doing? Because the Bible is very clear that God is not okay with, 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 with apathy. You just say, how does that happen? How, how was I so, one so on fire for God? And I mean, I would witness to people all the time. And I just asked you, when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? I'm writing this message and I'm drinking iced coffee in my office. Got up and went out. I ran out. I ran did different things and I had all these things going on. I met with some people, came back to my office, grabbed my iced coffee, and it was warm. Here, I literally snapped a picture. I was like, this is it. Let me just tell you right now, that is gross. So, hey, that is, I'm telling you, you say, how was the rest of it? Did you endure it? Nope, I dumped it out. It was gross. You say, Pastor Tony, how did it become lukewarm? And the lukewarm is, you just say, what is the temperature? How does that happen? All you have to do is let it sit. So what do you have to do to become apathetic? 
Oh, the answer is so easy. Nothing. Nothing. Just let it sit. Do you know what happens? I don't care how cold something is or how, how hot something is. When you let it sit, it adapts to the temperature of its atmosphere. And lukewarm is that description that says you're just adapted to the culture around you. You go to work, you're way more excited about telling them about the score of the Buckeye game or whatever your team is than you are about telling them how Jesus worked in your life that weekend. The Bible tells us and goes into this and explains He said, as many as I rebuke, or as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He said, I go after them, be therefore zealous and repent. Because God is explaining that apathy is sin. Just kidding. The the reason why he said, you're lukewarm, and then he turns around and he says, I rebuke you. And he tells you to repent. Repent literally means to get it right. To change direction. Not just a matter of like, you know, the shrugging of the, I'm okay, or the passiveness with music and the passiveness of worshiping and things like that. You just shrug your, and it's not a big deal. Let me tell you, God's not just saying, oh, that's not good. God is literally saying, you need to get it right. God responds to their apathy. He said, I will spew thee out of my mouth. God's not trying to be gross or whatever is saying that, but he's given the illustration and the church of Laodicea with the, the Anyways, there was a whole history that he was tying into the water that came into the city and how it was lukewarm. And they weren't known for their cold water. They were known for the lukewarm water. Nobody wanted to taste it. And everybody that drank it was just like, this is gross. It's like water from Laodicea. Who wants that? And God was saying, it's just like if you've ever drank spoiled milk before. Has anybody ever done that? You like, you didn't realize it. It's a little chunky. Milk should not be chunky. Okay, just laying that out there. The first thing you do is you spit it out. It's gross. It's disgusting. God was literally saying, I am saved. It's gross. What is God saying to the church of the last days? It tells us to repent of our apathy and don't get comfortable just because you live in the comforts of everything that's been given to us. But then there's a verse in here that I think sometimes we overlook. Or we'll put it out of context and we don't understand that this is church, talking to the church of Laodicea. Verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. This was a visual of God telling him, what should we do? God, we always talk about how God is seeking after us. The Bible is literally saying, I'm asking you to get up from your seat and seek after me. It is awesome. Let me tell you, out of everything that I could describe in this, how awesome this passage is. Your passive bidding can seek you out. Isn't it awesome that God, through conviction, is not going to leave us where we're at? And God does through this through different things. It might be a song on the radio. It might be a friend that's provoking you. It might be a life group discussion. It might be something you hear in church. But I promise you this. God is beating on our hearts, knocking our hearts. He won't kick it open and say, I want to be in here. The whole idea that God is preaching or teaching through this is the fact that through our life, we get so busy and clutter our life that we push God to the outside. It's not that I'm not saved. It's not that I, I, I don't love God. He calls them the church. I mean, that's the same, the redeemed, those that are, are set apart for God. 
But he said, the problem is, he said, I'm no longer the center of your life. I'll ask you guys right now, as us as a church, would God say that I am the center of your relationships, the center of your marriage, the center of your worship? Let me, let me put it like this. Let me, let me go after the dads as I say this. Hey, dads, would your kids be able to testify and say, my dad is passionate about Jesus? They came to like, which one is your dad more? Which one is, is more passionate in, in his life? Would it, would it be the Buckeyes or would it be Jesus? If my dad's going to uh, get excited about something, is, is, is it his favorite NFL team or any other sports or golf or whatever? Are, are they able to see it in your life? And if, if that's the truth, God is for you right now. God's knocking on your heart saying, I want to be the center of your relationship. I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying because I'm, I'm not about this. Box. I don't know. This is what I do know. According to that passage, I can experience personal revival with God. I can. So the world is going to hell and everything's falling apart. But you know what? My family can have Jesus as the center of it all. My life, my church, my relationships. He's literally knocking on the door. He says, if any man will hear my voice and respond... You see, true passion for God can only come from true relationship with God. Now notice what he says. Verse 19 is a result of this. And let me tell you, this last point cannot come without opening the door and asking God to come in. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous. Be zealous. Last message to the church. So we get into the end, and, and out, out of all the things, he, he, he doesn't just say, go out and evangelize. Be a good dad, all this. The, literally the passage that he's saying, therefore, he's, he says in there, be zealous, therefore, and repent. The word zealous comes from the word that means to be hot. God's desire for the church is to be zealous, which literally means that if I'm sitting there, God's working on my heart, and God says, I've got so much more. Can I tell you guys that we settle too much in life? It's like, man, we're just, man, we're doing great as a church. I'll tell you what, you know what's better than seeing somebody get saved? You say there's no such thing. as You know what's better than seeing somebody getting saved? Can anybody shout it out and tell me? Two people getting saved. You know what's better than two people getting saved? No, four. Oh, ye of little faith, let's go for it. Of just having the desire that God says... Unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. The church in the last days is, doesn't have a watered down version of the spirit of God. God didn't say that you're going to just struggle through because I'm going to leave you. I'm going to randomly drop in and visit you. God literally says that I'll be with you to the very end. God says I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And all the instructions that God gives us of this God says, I, ref- you just, I want you to refuse to sit. Romans 12, verse 11, he said, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. literally means to be hot. The word fervent literally means to be hot or on fire for God. 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15, 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye therefore steadfast, unmovable, always existing for the work of the Lord. Is that, is that what it says? Abounding in the work of the Lord. He said, I have come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. So the instructions that God gives us is, strictly, is, is literally this. 
you might be one of the people of the last days of Jesus Christ before he comes back for his church. But he says, it's time. Say, God, I want more. It's time to be fun. It's one of my favorite passages. I, I, I've used it as, as a realize that what God has done and God's going to do and, and to just say, God, I want more. Ephesians 3.20 is one of my favorite passages. I, I, I've used it as, as a theme through Logan's entire journey. No unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But the rest of the verse says, according to the power that worketh in us. In us. It's where your kids get around and it's like, man, I'm going to, I wish my kids would go to church. I wish they would listen to me and respect me because they get around you and go, you know what? You're no different than the dad or the teacher or the politician. Dad, your spirit is the same, but let something be on fire in your life. And your kids will get around you and say, I don't know what's happening to the dad, but my dad. I get around my church or I get around my life group. I get around whoever it is, those friends that I have, there is for you. Simply say, I want it. I want it. I'm going to go all out. Every bit that God gives me the opportunity to do, I want to just go all out. And I, I, I just challenge you. I can't open the door for you. I can't. But I can tell you about the one that's knocking on the door of your heart. Because that's what I have and that's what the world needs. It's, it's not just a hope that exists. It's not archaic. It's not Old Testament. It's a living hope. A living hope that is available to every person that's here, whether you know Jesus or not. God has come to save you from the wrath to come. Because this world is falling apart quickly. But the good news, I have the truth. And it will set you free.